Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Debrief. Today, our three topics are a new church for the Society of St. Pius X. Then we'll talk about the diary of a predator priest, and then Pope Francis naming 21 new saints today in a groundbreaking ecumenical gesture. Uh, this and more with Mike Lewis and The Debrief. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, the Debrief Friends is a weekly show where we talk about news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church. I'm Dominic, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the uh, editor-in-chief and co-founder of the website Where Peter Is. So, Mike, the first topic today relates to the world of radical traditionalism. Over the weekend, Cardinal Bernard Fellay of the SSPX, he consecrated a brand new $42 million church in a four-hour ceremony. Can you tell us a little bit about this organization? Yeah. So basically this, uh, this event is, is fairly newsworthy. Um, we've written a lot of articles about the society of St. Pius X on where Peter is. Um, they're probably the, the largest, uh, traditionalist organization in the world. Um, they were started in the 1970s by the French archbishop, Marcel Lefebvre. Um, he started a seminary in Econ, Switzerland, uh, and in order to form seminarians in at least his understanding of traditional Catholicism, mm -hmm. um, they were originally given temporary provisional uh, permission to exist. Then in the mid-70s, um, following a Vatican um, visitation, they, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre was... Um, suspended of his faculties and as a bishop and, and priest, and he was asked uh, to shut down the seminary. Um, Archbishop, Archbishop Lefebvre kept the seminary open. Um, we've covered on where Peter is, his dialogue with uh, Pope Paul VI, Pope St. Paul VI in the, in the last years of Paul VI's life. Uh, and then um, he tangled with uh, with John Paul II throughout the 80s as he was aging um, in the year 1988. Archbishop Lefebvre realized that there were no other bishops in the society and that he would need somebody to carry on his work if he was to continue. So he went through a lengthy process of negotiation with um, then Archbishop Ratzinger um, to bring the to you know, with the, the focus of bringing the SSPX into full communion, they reached an agreement in um, May 1988, I believe May 5th. And then the following morning, uh, Archbishop Lefebvre retracted his signature. Um, he couldn't in good conscience go along with the Vatican agreement, which would have given them uh, at least one bishop. Mm -hmm. Um Instead, he decided to go ahead that June and uh, consecrate four bishops without Vatican permission. Um, and for this, he and those four bishops were excommunicated. Um, the uh, and basically, they have. Uh, well, it was described in by uh, Ratzinger as a schismatic act. Mm -hmm. um, there's some debate about whether or not the SSPX is in schism. Um, a number of, uh, you know, figures in the, in the institutional church have, have tried to state that they're not, and that it's maybe an irregular situation. If you look at the definition of schism and you look at the way that they operate, which is they operate, uh, chapels with their own authority structure, 
um, without deference to uh, the local bishop. The priests don't have any recognition by the local bishop. They're ordained by these basically three of the original four remain. Um, Lefebvre uh, passed away in the 90s. Um, anyway, it, basically what it is, is it's a uh, traditionalist, uh, some might call it a counter church. They have their own magisterium. We consider their sacraments to be valid. Um, the masses, they say, the ordinations they do are valid, but because they have no um, recognized ministry in the church, they're essentially illicit mm -hmm. uh, or suspended. Anyway, this uh, this group, uh, which was you know started in Switzerland and is is big in France, its uh, headquarters in um, in the United States are in the town of St. Mary's, Kansas, which is in I believe it's in the Topeka area. Okay. Um, they have built up a you know a large school, um, a community uh, where you know that basically, I mean I've heard from people who live in. Um, St. Mary's and it's it's and actually it's actually a pretty interesting dynamic because the old timers the townies uh, a lot of them go to the you know to the diocesan parish church but then there's this whole community of um, people who belong to the society um, and they have different standards of conduct different standards of I mean you know that highly emphasize um, standards of modesty and behavior and um, you know don't condone popular culture so it's you know it's this counterculture that's moved into this this old kansas town um okay. but you know I, I guess they've gone through some they've raised a lot of money and they've got a lot of faithful adherence and so yeah so they've just built this huge 42 million dollar church that was just consecrated and you know that's kind of the latest news seems uh, like a number of people uh, are there and also endorsing um, for example, like Taylor Marshall, like what's, where does he fit? Like he's very popular when it comes to, well, Catholic Twitter and, and track you know, content. it's kind of interesting because I think, so Taylor Marshall was briefly an Anglican priest. Um, and then he came into the Catholic church. Um, if you, I recommend to almost any, to anybody with the time, if you look at his appearance on the EWTN program, the journey home, um, from 2011, I think he, he had maybe been in the church for a year or two at that point. Um, and you listen to the way he speaks and the things he says, and then you compare him. I mean, most of the people watching this are probably familiar with Taylor Marshall, compare that to the Taylor Marshall we're aware of now. And it's, it's night and day. Um, he seems to traffic in outrage. He tends to exaggerate news stories i mean i remember there was some conspiracy theory that pope francis had been arrested for i don't even know what covering up abuse or something like that and you know he so he'll run these live videos with these sensational titles um basically for clicks i mean he had that best-selling book infiltration um he seems to be getting more and more radical as he flirts with uh, the notion that Pope Francis may not be a legitimate Pope. Um, I believe it was Christmas 2020 um, or maybe Easter 2020 when he decided to flirt with the Society of St. Pius X. Um, I guess the mainstream church or the FSSP, um, the traditionalist group that's in communion with Rome, 
Um, the church was closed that holiday, and apparently he went to the SSPX uh, as an alternative. Since then, he's been very friendly towards them, and he was, you know, taking selfies or, you know, uh, appearing live uh, from uh, St. Mary's over the weekend. Um, I don't think he has officially uh, signed on with the SSPX, but I, you know, it's it's one of those things where he's certainly encouraging it. And I think that they are more than willing to give him all the encouragement that he will get. Um, I think for a lot of these figures, they are going to stay within the confines of the institutional church, at least technically for as long as they can, because if they leave and joined a schismatic or semi-schismatic society or went independent, you know, they would probably lose a lot of their uh, cachet in the Catholic community. But, you know, of, of all of these commentators, he seems to be one of the most, uh, the one who's, who's got at least one foot out the door. Um, so that, that seems to be his status. Talking about a foot in both camps, which is a bit compromising or, or curious, the SSPX seems to be it's continuing to get attention among Catholic circles and then even endorsements from bishops in the mainstream church like Bishop Athanasius uh, Schneider. Can you speak to that? Yeah, you know, Athanasius Schneider is interesting. Lately, he has been one of the... I mean, first of all, it seems to me absurd the number of Americans who are intimately familiar with an auxiliary bishop from Kazakhstan. You know, how... like. I don't know how many auxiliary bishops in the United States, uh, you know, most Catholics, you know, know the names of, but because he has a, been a vocal supporter of traditionalism and more recently a vocal critic of the Pope to the extent of, you know, signing letters accusing him of heresy and, you know, signing vaccine waivers, you know, for Americans who want to, who wanted to get out of the COVID vaccine, um, he's, he's a very interesting figure and, you know, he's always been kind of friendly to the SSPX. Um, one thing that, that I really wish someone would get to the bottom of is early in Francis's papacy, he was, it was reported by a number of conservative outlets that Schneider was conducting an apostolic visitation of the SSPX at the behest of the Holy See. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't understand why they would pick him of all bishops, you know, to go to the SSPX seminary and to, to write up reports, but he has, uh, you know, he comes back and he, you know, supposedly from this, uh, from this visitation, which I can't find any record of on any official Vatican source, um, giving a glowing review of the SSPX and saying that they, you know, what they believe is, you know, totally orthodox and totally, uh, you know, should be accepted within the church. And lately he's, um, been promoting the society itself. Um, he's been promoting the idea of going to mass there. He's, uh, you know, endorsed some of the ideas of, um, you know, people who feel that they can't obey Pope Francis that, you know, that they would go there instead of go to the, the Novus Ordo church. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of been building this momentum and, and as others 
have gone more quiet. Other bishops who are critical of, of Pope Francis, like I haven't heard a ton from Cardinal Burke lately, for example. Um, I wonder, uh, his star seems to be rising and with this crowd, of course, and, and I wonder where it's all leading. Yeah, You've, there's a bishop, is it Vitus or Vitus Fulander? He's uh, a retired Swiss bishop as well. I, I have a friend named Vitus, so I guess that's his first name. Yeah, so also there's this Bishop Vitus Huandor. Um, he's he's Swiss, and he was, uh, you know, he was the pre he was the ordinary of a small Swiss diocese, mm -hmm. and he decided that he wanted to retire in an SSPX residence or or rectory. I don't, you know, I don't know what they call their priest houses. Um, and he says that he did this with the permission of, of Pope Francis, but now he's been doing sort of the media, um, the media run. And he's, he's been conducting these interviews where he's defending what Archbishop Lefebvre did. He's defending the positions of the SSBX. He's criticizing Pope Francis. On the other hand, when it's useful, he's saying that Pope Francis personally told him that the SSPX is not schismatic, um, you know, not on the record, have to take right. his word for it. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing. And he's a bishop that I don't think many people had heard of mm -hmm. before this, this, his retirement and media campaign. Yeah. But it seems that the traditionalist movement is, is grasping, exploiting and promoting, um, every opportunity that they can get to promote their worldview. And, and I think a lot of this is um, in opposition to Pope Francis, but it, it goes much deeper than that because it, it really goes down to the, the doctrinal differences that separated mm -hmm. Lefebvre from the mainstream church yeah. decades ago. It's, it's Vatican II is the real question and, and whether it should be embraced, implemented, adopted, how it should be interpreted. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's a whole whole discussion topic. I know we've got Pedro Gabriel who's writing an entire book on this heresy disguises tradition. It's going to be a whole whole thing. Well, speaking of that, are there resources that our viewers and listeners can share if a loved one becomes interested in the SSPX? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd recommend the book by Pedro. Um, so, what is it? As of this recording, I think What's it's still that? coming out. It's still coming out, but uh, we we it has been announced, and I blurbed it. So um, yeah. I don't know if there's a link I can send you probably to his website. We'll put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a good resource. Of it just sort of debunks every single talking point that that traditionalists come up with about the about authority, about the magisterium, about what it means to be orthodox, mm -hmm. um, about what schism means. It's it's a very interesting. Um, and comprehensive read, but I also wanted to, and this is, uh, you know, this is a plug for for some other um, YouTube shows uh, and and websites. Um, if you have a friend who is interested or exploring the SSPX or is starting to become more and more radical traditionalist, I just want to throw a few names out there, and we can link to their channels um, of YouTubers who who. I mean, frankly, I would consider them all, you know, conservative Catholics. Some of them are, would even still consider themselves uh, traditionalist, but not 
radical traditionalist, you know, still faithful to the magisterium, faithful to Vatican II. So one name, and it's a name that we've recommended before, I would say is Michael Lofton of Reason and Theology. Um, I believe he has a whole playlist on SSPX. He does um, phenomenal work with his He team. does, and he's very thorough. I mean, I don't agree with everything. I mean, nobody agrees with everything anybody says, but I, yeah. I think he's got, his heart is in the right place, mm-hmm. and he is intellectually honest, and he is he is very charitable. Um, second would be the Logos Project. Um, it was started by a young man named Dom Dalmaso. Sorry, paused on that. Um, he is, uh, he was raised in the uh, SSPX. I believe his parents met in the town of St. Mary's and then he grew up in France, uh, you know, in, in with the SSPX. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, he's, he's made a, a religious journey over, you know, over the last few years and he's been exploring the writings of, of Ratzinger and, uh, you know, Balthazar de Lubach and, um, and, and the documents of Vatican II. And he's really, um, you know, doing a good job of, of trying to, to explain faithfully uh, mm-hmm. the living magisterium of the church. And along with him would be Andrew Bartel, um, who is also a former member of the society, as well as a former Sede Vacantist, which is somebody wow. who believes there hasn't been a pope, a valid pope since 1958. Um, he also returned to the church, to, to Mother Church. Mm-hmm. And so they've worked together. A lot of the videos on the Logos Project feature nice. him as well. Um, I also want to mention John Salza, who is a regular guest. Now, John Salza is very interesting because he, you know, was a longtime voice for um, in favor of the SSPX. He was an apologist. He wrote a book called True or False Pope, which was refuting the idea that Francis was an invalid pope while defending the SSPX position that we didn't have to follow him. Um, But I think once again, as a matter of intellectual honesty, he discovered, um, you know, wait a minute, that's not how the magisterium works. When I read these documents, when I read these, you know, writings of popes and theologians, I realize that what the SSPX has constructed is a house of cards. It's not, what the church is founded on and and the church must hold together in unity in doctrinal unity uh with the successor of peter so those are some names the last one i want to throw out and this is i mean this is a channel i just discovered a few weeks ago but it's um a young woman uh named laura vander voss and her youtube channel is Mm -hmm. miss happy catholic all one word um now, she's had a YouTube channel for a while, but I think within the last year or so, she has been featuring long-form interviews um, with former uh, traditionalists, former radical traditionalists, mm-hmm. um, who have basically spent a lot of time in these communities. They became, you know, they adopted the mentality or they were raised in the mentality, and then gradually they came... Uh, you know, to see the truth of the church as it is, as opposed to um, what the SSPX says it is. And so um, I want to link to one uh, testimony in particular uh, with a young woman uh, named Bethany, um, who was raised in the SSPX and um, talks about her journey as a young woman in this community, um, part of a family that was dedicated to to the society. Um, I think that these 
are good resources. Um, I think that these yeah. are people who are genuinely seeking the truth and I think they're doing a great service. Um, you know, I, I mean, the, the funny thing is it's like, we, we do address radical traditionalism a lot at where Peter mm -hmm. is, but I feel like a lot of traditionalists have just written us off. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I stand by our work and I think it's true. And, but it's like, if people see where Peter is, they all of a sudden think like Marxists and modernists. And these, these are conservative Catholics who, you know, yeah. who love high liturgy and chant. And, you know, they are intimate, they grew up intimately knowing these uh, tradition with this traditionalist ideology and, and they are very well suited to address it. Fantastic. Well, it'll be good to have all those links uh, in the description. Did they also start treadrecovery.com? Yes, yes. Uh, okay. I guess Laura just started that. So that's a, are you a member of that website? Not yet, yet but I'm, I'm going to check them out. <laughs> Speaking of recovery, let's talk about the sex abuse crisis. Just the other day, you published an article you've been hunkering down, working on for a while about the case of a Jesuit priest, Alfonso Pedrajas, I think, who died in 2009. And then recently, the Spanish newspaper El País got a hold of his diary in which he confesses to abusing as many as 85 people. Why, why did you write the, the article, the response? Yeah, so this, um, this article, uh, and it's funny because we've pushed back our, our taping two weeks in a row because I've been so engrossed in a, in a writing project. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, once it's like once that bug clicks, like, I, yeah. you know, it's like I've got to hunker down and finish it. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, this is a story of he was a Spanish. This man was a Spanish Jesuit, um, entered uh, the Jesuits in 1960, died in 2009. He spent most of his time in Bolivia as an educator. Um, he and he was an active pedophile. He uh, wrote in his in his in this two three hundred eighty three page diary, um, his his struggles and his thoughts and his experiences. Um, I mean, there you know you hear about these serial predators all the time, but this was maybe the most thorough, most comprehensive account from his point of view. Wow. Um, and you know, at at one point he he admits that you know maybe he he abused as many as 85 people, you know, otherwise he wasn't living a life of chastity. Um, you know, there were various points at which people complained about him. And I, I believe at one point he spent a year, you know, away doing labor, you know, was sent there by the, by the Jesuits, but no real discipline. People tried to report him and, and they were brushed aside. And I mean, it, because it was this comprehensive long form article, I, I started to think once again about the scope of this problem. Mm -hmm. um, since I've started where Peter is, I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to speak with and befriend and interview, you know, a number of survivors. Um, it's been, I mean, as somebody personally who wasn't affected by the crisis, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to never have been uh, sexually abused. To my knowledge, no one in my family, you know, in my immediate family was. Um, none of the priests I was close to um, have been exposed for abusing minors or for, you know, for hiding, uh, you know, that kind of life. Um, and so I, I personally have not experienced that pain. Mm -hmm. And I think when you haven't, 
and probably most Catholics have not or are not aware that people they know have experienced it, can step back from this and maybe analyze it or think about it doctrinally or think about like, oh, well, we need to, to lock them up, but without really focusing on the enormous wound that this right. has caused. Yeah, because you talk in the article how doctrine and canon law legislating about this is not going to heal the problem. And and that's kind of the thing. I mean, one thing that I that I've come across in my interactions with with various survivors is that you know some of them lose their faith, um, some of them walk away and then and then come back at a certain point. Some of them hang on to their faith, but in in every single case, the survivor's faith has been dramatically transformed. And in a lot of cases, I'll see. Uh, traditionalists or, or, I mean, for lack of a better term, people with a more legalistic mindset mm -hmm. um, accusing them of heterodoxy or being hard on them for their beliefs. And something that struck me, and, and we also uh, ran a, a review yesterday of um, Brian Devlin, or two days ago, of Brian Devlin's book, um, Cardinal Sin. He was one of the victims of uh, the Scottish Cardinal Keith O'Brien, and he wrote a memoir. Um, and it, it struck me that through it all, and this was something that he said, he still fixes his gaze on Christ. He still believes in redemption. He still believes in salvation. And after everything that they've been through, I think that that needs to be the starting point. Or, you know, if they've lost their faith, I think I think that wound that caused them to lo lose their faith should be the starting point. And uh, Mark Joseph Williams, uh, another a friend of mine who uh, Jeannie and I interviewed him for the podcast, but I've, I've gotten to know him pretty well. Um, he wrote an article in America last year about how survivors of sexual abuse can help heal the church overall. And he, he talked about how survivors, and it's because every survivor has their own story, has their own wounds, yeah. needs yeah. to be attended to in a way that is specific to them. Um, they model uh, synodality. I was going to say, this that's, what, that's this your is, recommendation at the end of the article. That's what, I mean, that's what Pope Francis is asking us to do. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I think people, you know, and I see, I see this attitude written down on Twitter or in criticisms of the Synod, you know, there, there are people that are hurting, whether it's over a church teaching or because the church has, has actually wronged them in some way. Um, you know, and that's something that I have experienced, obviously not to that degree, but I have been hurt by the mm -hmm. institutional church, um, in concrete real ways. Um, and I, and, and that though, and we can't deny the reality of that pain. We can't say, you know, you're mad at the church because you want to be a priest, but women can't be priests because Pope John Paul said it in, in 1990. So your concern is invalid. Mm -hmm. Well, what is that saying to the, to the person? It's saying that their pain doesn't count and they might as well leave because what they want is never going to happen. I mean, I don't have an answer. I, none of us have the power to change doctrine. I mean, you know, we're told that, you know, 
the deposit of faith is preserved for all time. But the least we can do is listen to people's pain. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I, I'm just, you know, a flood of thoughts came and, and this article was, was the fruit of that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that we, we can't just offer fixes. I think we need to be present. We need to accompany. We need to listen. And if we walk together, supporting one another, you know, trusting in God, something good will happen. Um, if we if we base everything on you're in or you're out, yes, no, these are the rules, black and white, mm -hmm. we won't bridge these gaps and the church will suffer for it. Speaking of the church suffering, earlier today it was announced 21 new saints would be listed in the Roman Martyrology with the feast day of February 15th. They were 21 men who were migrant workers, 20 from Egypt, one from Ghana, and they were brutally executed by Islamic militants on a beach in Libya in uh, 2015. There's extraordinary ecumenical significance with this. Can you explain why? Yes. So um, Pope Francis this week um, hosted Pope, and I'm going to butcher the name, Pope Tawadros II. It means Theodore in, in Coptic. Uh, mm -hmm. He is the Coptic Pope of Alexandria. Um, yes, his title is Pope. No, he's not claiming to be the, the successor of Peter or the Vicar of Christ. It just so happens that the ancient see of Alexandria and the ancient see of Rome, mm -hmm. they named the, their leaders Pope, and then the other three major patri patriarchates had patriarchs. Mm -hmm. So the the cops broke away from the, uh, you know, from the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic churches um, in the mid first millennium. Um, they accept the first three ecumenical councils um, and they are part of what is known as the Oriental Orthodox. Um, the Eastern Orthodox, which, you know, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, um, they are larger and they, um, they had their schism, you know, we, we give the year 1054, um, but they accept the first seven councils that we have. Um, so this was an earlier rift, but like the Eastern Orthodox, the Catholics recommend, uh, recognize the sacraments of, you know, the Coptic Christians as, as valid. They have valid bishops, they have uh, valid Eucharist and, and, and they have, and they share our faith. Mm -hmm. Um, and in recent years, uh, Pope Francis has become very friendly with with their Pope. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, twenty of these twenty one men, the Egyptians, they were they were all Oriental Orthodox. They were not technically in communion with the with the Roman Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. um, and then the the last one, um, he was from Ghana, and. There, you know, there's some questions about what his his religious origin is. There, there's a chance he may have actually been Catholic because a lot of Ghanaians are Catholic. Okay. Um, others say that he converted because of the inspiration of of these uh, of these Egyptian cops. But there, you know, there was this video that came out in 2015 showing these brutal executions. Um, within a week, they were named saints in the uh, in the Coptic Church. Mm -hmm. um, and 
and we've always regarded them. I mean, Pope Francis has always talked about them as martyr mm -hmm. martyrs. Uh, he's yeah. referred to ecumenism of blood. You know, yeah. we, if we're yeah. dying, if you die for Christ, does God really care if you're Orthodox or Methodist or Baptist or yeah. Coptic? Um, but what was remarkable was that Pope Francis put their names in the martyrology, which is the Catholic Church's official list of saints. It's goes by calendar. And so there's a question. Has the church ever formalized, apart from the saints who weren't formally members of, of the Catholic Church? Well, so it's sort of a yes and no thing. Like the Catholic Church, we have our formal canonization process, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of, we all know, venerable, a servant of God, venerable, blessed, canonized. Uh, you need to have a certain number of uh, a certain number of miracles to your name, that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. there there are also cases where popes can um, just decide. I mean, because the pope has supreme authority, I'm going to make this guy a saint. Uh, pope Francis has used it a few times. He he uh, skipped uh, a step with Pope John the Twenty Third. He named um, one of his favorite Jesuits, uh, Peter Faber. He named him a saint. Um, and in this in this particular case, he decided to officially declare these 21 men saints. Um, there's one other case that was quite famous. Um, it was in, I believe it was also it was in 2015, where Saint Gregory of Narek was declared a doctor of the church. Now, until he was declared a doctor of the church, I doubt many Latin Rite Catholics had ever heard of St. Gregory Narek. Um, he was an Armenian saint and it just, and he was a scholar and it just so happened the Armenian church, just like so many of these, of these churches sort of went in and out of communion. You know, there's a history of them excommunicating each other. Um, and uh, at the time when he was living, he was not, his church was not in communion with Rome. It wasn't anything to do with him. It's just, you know, the higher ups weren't getting along at the time. So, but then in the 1700s, a group of Armenian Christians decided to reconcile with the Catholic church. And typically when an Eastern church or a group of Eastern Christians, Orthodox Oriental Christians comes into full communion with the church, they bring with them their traditions. And this includes their saints. So St. Gregory of Narek had been recognized by the Armenian Catholic Church, mm -hmm. but had but he had not gone, he never went through that, you know, the Roman process. But yeah. of course, the Catholic Church allows this sort of recognition, and there are plenty of saints that have been brought across. There's some interesting ones. Um, I mean, for example, in some of the Eastern churches, the Emperor Constantine is considered a saint. Whereas he's yeah. not considered, not really considered a saint in in the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, he was baptized on his deathbed, so I think, you know, it was one of those strategic moves that uh, you know he was hoping would assure his salvation. But um, you know, th there's some interesting nuances there. But um, as long as somebody venerated by an Eastern Church is not considered uh, contrary to the, believing something contrary to the faith, mm -hmm. then. Uh, we we recognize and and we bless their you know continuing their their tradition yeah. of veneration it's beautiful well i mean we call <clears throat> excuse me we call this show the debrief because there's way too much to talk about 
And uh, there's still more to, well, prod you for and more questions to put to you. If people do want to go a little more deeply, they can check the links in the description for the show. And there are links to all of the things that we've been talking about are available in the show notes. Thanks again for the debrief, Mike. Um, this show is brought to you from smartcatholics.com. It's the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join the private Where Peter Is group to ask questions and to meet other people following this show. Share your own insights and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Please share this episode with uh, family or friends, your followers. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode of The Debrief and, and hit the like button too. That really helps help Absolutely. YouTube and the algorithm push this video up to more people. And and hey, support Where Peter Is on Patreon so you can help, you can help us bring you wonderful content like this. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us, friends. When it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless you. God bless you.